I was meant for the stage I was meant for the curtain I was meant to train these Hello and welcome to episode number 147 of Their Giants podcast. And my guest today is Richmond manager Dennis Pelfrey. Uh, I've wanted to have Pelf come on for a, a while. Um, of course, I, I get to talk with him quite a bit during the summer. And um, he has a really interesting way of seeing the game, of seeing his role in the game, of thinking about helping players develop. And I really just wanted to get him on here to not talk about players particularly, but just talk about his philosophy and, and the way he sees the game um, Pelf has obviously been quite successful uh, in his three years managing in the in the Giants system. He's been to the playoffs now three straight years uh, with first Eugene where he won a championship and then twice in Richmond, um, their first two playoff appearances in quite some time. Um, hasn't won a game there, but still working on that. They're just a really interesting creative development mind in the system. So I have him on today, not specifically to talk about any players that he coached this year, although he did obviously coach a lot of important players in the development system, but really to just talk about how he sees the game and how he thinks about, you know, coaching in the minor leagues. Um, so let's get to the, let's get to Pelf. Hey. Hey, Pelf, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. How's your off-season going? <laughs> oh, pretty good so far. Pretty good. Not what do you... What do you do uh, when the, when the season's over? How do you kind of kind of detox from the from the season? Um, typically, my wife and my boy we uh, go to Death, Florida, for like twelve days, um, and just hang out on the beach and relax. Uh, but not doing that this year. Um, actually, had uh, hip surgery on Friday. Oh. Yeah. So that seems to be a common process for people in your, in your line of business. I don't know what yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, just getting to a point now to where it just wasn't bearable anymore. I mean, I can still do some things, but, uh, I just, you know, I want to feel better. So you got that, got that hip replacement on Friday and, uh, feel pretty good today so far. So that that's good to hear. I hope it, I hope it goes well. I hope it's not too painful. Um, yeah, so well, let's talk Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, 2023. Right. Um, I, I, so it's always kind of interesting to be a minor league manager. Obviously, development is your primary focus and it's what you're there to do, but you're also competitors, right? So yep. you've been in the playoffs for two years. Um, when you get into the like those last two months and it's it's a grind every night and 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 you're trying to get that last spot h- how meaningful was that to you that the competitive part of of your job as opposed to the development part uh, it's special i mean i think it's it's really uh it's one of the best things to see from at least from my perspective on how like the the staff uh the players the front office like you can kind of feel, you know, everybody, you know, I think everybody wants to make the playoffs, but I think that there's a genuine like switch uh, that's felt in the clubhouse and it's really hard to explain, uh, but it's felt in the clubhouse, it's felt in the, in the stands, it's felt in the front office where 
you know, every night is really meaningful. And when we, when we win a game, it's not, it's not just winning a game. It's, it's one step closer. And I think that, you know, even going into that last week, I think our magic number was four yeah. with Bowie right behind us. And we, we needed to win four games or they needed to lose four or a combination of those two things. And um, I don't think anybody ever even talked about Bowie losing. It was just, we're just going to win four games. And then, you know, um, fortunately we, we clenched after winning a third one, but, uh, because Bowie did lose and, but again, I think that it was, it, it, it's a special, it's a special thing for me to, to see because the work is so important. I talk about the work all the time and, um, and it's really, really good to see how the players and even the staff during the games, like it becomes a, the game, like competitive game where you're playing, you know, wiffle ball in the backyard with your friends or, you know, playing chess you know, with your longtime buddy, you want to win those games or solitary, you want to beat the computer. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's sure. like, it, it, it <laughs> I think everybody has those things in them. And, um, but I think when, when you have a bunch of people going after that goal and when, when you have a bunch of people that kind of see that, that, that goal, uh, it makes it really special. Without going too far down there, you wrote a really nice note to the, the folks in Richmond. It must be, so nice for your players. You've got that energy in the stadium. Uh, let's face it, the folks playing for Bowie don't have that. Um, you guys get that kind of electricity in the stadium every night. It must be kind of a lift when you're going through a process like that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, like like I've said on many times, it's it's the best place I've ever been. The best atmosphere I've ever been fortunate enough to coach or play in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes it special, I mean, we played in some places that, that had some some good fans and some, uh, you know, some good crowds. But I think the Richmond fans are like legitimately into the game. They are locked into the game. And it's yeah. anything that happens. There's there's a buzz. There's noise. There's, you know, especially something positive for us. It's loud. And it's it's really, really cool to see. So one thing I really wanted to kind of get to in in this formal recorded <laughs> format is to let you talk about your philosophy of how you manage guys. I know we've had a lot of conversations, your players talk about it a lot, um, but your, your notion on where the work really happens, uh, you know, the development's not happening at seven o'clock at night. It's, it's, it's what's happening in the day. I, I just want you to kind of explain how you think about the work the players are doing. So really, I, I, I look at a lot like, uh, you know, my little boy that, that, uh, that's growing up, you know, right in front of me, kind of, uh, for half the year, you know, but, uh, you know, when he was young and just watching how he learned how to do things and, and that's how people are in general. It's how animals are, everything, everything. Like it's, it's always, you know, from a baby to an adult, you're learning things. And most of those things you learn by, by failing and, uh, you know, a really good example is I talk about a lot, you know, I used to talk about a lot was when our, when our boy was one years, one year old, he, we took him to the beach for the first time. And, you know, he, we set him down on the beach and he grabbed a, a handful of sand and threw it right in his mouth. And it <laughs> the world, the world was ending. Right. Cause I mean, obviously sand doesn't taste very well. I don't really know that cause I've never tried sand myself. You know, <laughs> I assume it doesn't taste very good. Um, <clears throat> but and, you know, he cried and it was just a, the world was ending for 30 minutes, you know, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, my wife, you know, sets him down in a different spot 
you know, and he goes right to the sand, a different spot of the sand, grabs that piece of or that handful of sand and tries that right in the mouth again. And sometimes it takes, you know, multiple, you know, times before, you know, you stop doing something right that, that you don't like. And I think that and everybody's different. May, there may be somebody out there that enjoys the taste of sand and that's okay. Like, you know, so I think that how I approach coaching is, is that I want the player to be as free and comfortable as he can be with like the focused, the focus on what he's doing at that time. I talk a lot about, you know, having 100% focus on baseball 24 seven is not sustainable. It's not for anything, you know, hundred percent focus on anything that you do in your life. It's never going to be as good as it could be because there it's so broad. So I talk about getting in and out of focus, right? Like when you have dinner with your family, sit down, have dinner with your family, you know, don't get on the phone, you know, don't do these things. Like, and if you do that, your relationship with your family will be so much better because you'll focus for that 30, 45, or even an hour with your family, have, have talks and let everything go. Your girlfriend, you know, your boyfriend, whatever it is, um, you know, you're going out with your buddies or you got to go hit all that stuff can be pushed for that 30 minutes and just enjoy and focus that time eating dinner with your family or whatever it is. You know, I used to talk a lot about um, Will Clark, you know, one of my favorite players. He's top three for me all time. And if he's watching this, I'm going to say he's number one, <laughs> but Barry Bonds, Will Clark and Barry Larkin, they were, they were my top three players as growing up. Uh, and, you know, it was very surreal for me when I met him in spring training a couple of years ago. And I'm just like, he's everything I thought he would be. He's, he's big personality, you know, is, is great. And, um, he actually in spring training invited me out to eat. And I hope he doesn't watch this cause he'll, he'll probably never speak to me again, but, uh, <clears throat> he invited me out to go eat with him. And at the time I was playing uh, call of duty on, on PlayStation, uh, quite a bit with, uh, a couple of the coaches in the organization and, and a buddy of mine from, from, you know, way back. And it's something that I wanted to be really good at. So and he, I even told my wife when I'm in spring training from, you know, I think it was like 9 PM to 10 30 PM in Arizona, don't call me because I'm not going to answer my phone. Like I'm locked in. I want to be really good at this game. And, uh, and I give myself that hour, hour and a half of just focusing on that. You don't think about, you know, what we're going to do tomorrow for our workout, what we're going to do, you know, in our meeting, try to just alleviate all that stuff. And, and it was funny because Will Clark asked me to go out to eat one night and it happened to be during the time where I was going to be playing the game. And I, I turned him down my childhood, you know, favorite player growing up. And, and I told the guys the story the next day. I said, you know, this is one of my, one of my mental talks I had <laughs> with our group. We have, we had like a 15 minute window to where we could, I could just talk a little bit. And I told them the story to kind of really show them like personal anecdotes of what the focus really needs to be And and you show up at the field at 12 o'clock, you can't be focused on the game. Like, it's just not going to, it's not feasible. You can't be focused on the work at that point either. You show up at 12 o'clock and we're not supposed to report till one. So take that hour to do whatever it is you want to do and focus in on that, whether it's play chess, you know, with a couple of the guys that play chess in the, in the clubhouse or um, do your ice bath, or maybe you're lifting that day and your focus should be on that. And then when you go to the next thing on the schedule, 
one o'clock report and you know whatever it is focus on that for the 15 minutes so the 15 minute ground ball session or the 10 minute defensive set session focus on that like that's that's part of it and then along with that be creative with yourself I talk a lot about um the guys be they're artists they're entertainers and that's really what they are I mean if if fans don't come watch the games then nobody has jobs like it's just you know we're there to entertain fans and I talk about it being the greatest reality show on the planet because it really is reality tv is is good and a lot of people watch it you know i I don't watch too much of it but you know the survivor thing's been around for a long time american idol and you know the bachelor and all these all these shows because people watch it because it's somewhat real right some of it's scripted i think but for baseball and football and professional sports like it's it is the realest it could be you never know what's going to happen even and with baseball it's even more so because every player has to be able to do everything for the most part, right? You have to be able to field and throw. And, and if you're a pitcher, obviously that's really all you need to do. But as a hitter, you have to be able to play a position. You have to be able to run bases. You have to be able to hit and do all these things. So you never know what's going to happen. And that's where like, you know, if you're the underdog team getting into the playoffs, it's special because you have a chance just like everybody else, when you step on the field at 635, the, the, the game is the same. The game is the same. So it's just a matter of if some things go our way, if some things happen, but it's really fun to watch those things happen. Um, <clears throat> so with all that said, like as you're doing your work, some of that individual, some of those individual things need to come into play. Like Jimmy Glowinky is a good example. The way that he, you know, fields balls, and the way that he looks out there is a little bit different than the way that Will Wilson does. And it doesn't mean that he's any better or worse. It just means that he needs to be really good at how he does it. Right. And I had a good conversation with Jimmy Golinke in spring training this year. And, you know, I, I told him and I may get in trouble for saying this, but I said, you know, some, some people are going to try to try to cage what you're doing and make you, you know, be this fundamentally sound defender, which is, ideally what we want. I think that when people talk to you like that and want you to do these things, it's for a good reason, but you have to add your stuff in there too. You have to do it kind of the way that they want to, but with your flair or your entertainment or, or your artistry. Right. So, um, and I thought that it went, it was a really good conversation with Jimmy. And, you know, when he got called up to us this year, we had the same conversation when I came, I said, now the idea, the expectation is you're going to work but you need to work in your realm, so to speak. And, uh, and we're going to try to make that look and be as good as it possibly can be. And, you know, I think it worked out well for him. I think that he got comfortable really quick with us and, and, you know, had a pretty good season as far as the hitting and defensively, he was great. So um, just coming into his own, I think that some people and fans, especially, which is what makes this game great too, is, you know, everybody has their opinions on how, if a guy, you know, calls it pimps a home run or shows <laughs> off the home run. That's okay. Like I've told our hitters that too. I said, I want you to show it off. Cause it's, it's, it's a really special moment. So it's a hard thing to do, but you can't make it about yourself. You know, there's a difference between emotion and energy, right? right? So when you do something really cool on the field, yeah, show it off for a second and then go, you know what I mean? Enjoy it for that moment, that focus that really, you know, dial in for the two, three, five seconds and then, go, go back to the game, right. Get in and out of that focus. So that's, that's really the message, uh, you know, that I give, especially 
day to day when we're doing our work is how can you make this simple drill, you know, in the outfield, I work with the outfielders and we do a, a wheel drill. How do you make it your own by dominate, you know, you dominate the drill, yeah. but how do you dominate it in your way. Yeah, I, I, I had a conversation at some point this year with Hayden Cantrell. Um, and one thing that I, I it kind of in that same vein that Hayden used to do, he has this little pop-up slide thing he does when he's, he's fielding balls to his right. Uh, which has a lot of flair and, and looks fun. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I, I found that it puts me into the best throwing position if, if I do it. Um, but I think what you are saying, that's not something you you learn in games. That's something you do in the work and then you the reactions come out in the games. It's uh, The game is a is a, an instinctive reaction to the work you've done before that. Correct. And, like, and if he's doing those things, like Cantrell is a great example and he does some things a little bit differently too, which, you know, I really like, but he has to really excel in those and be elite in those things. And if he does try some of those things in the game and it doesn't work out, you know, there's two ways we go. We either work on it more in the work, or we think maybe this isn't the right way. Maybe we need to, you know, we have a conversation. Maybe we need to try something different with that, that way that you're doing that. And, um, but being open to some of those things, I think, really allows the player to blossom into what he's supposed to be. And, and I and I do the same thing with with the staff, like, you know, our hitting coach. And, you know, you have the freedom to do these things the way that you want to do. And we have a baseline of what we want to try to accomplish. Now, use you're here for a reason. So use your your style and your artistry on what you think needs to happen for these guys. And I think that you know, with the Giants, they do a really good job of allowing us to be ourselves and, and, and allow us to, to get the work. Now, the expectation is to get the work done and be, be good at the end of the day. And I think that, you know, <clears throat> at least for the time that I've been here, you know, the players that have played for me and, uh, and the staffs that I've had, uh, you know, there hasn't been really any negative, uh, you know, effects for any player. I think they've all gotten better and, and and gotten to the points where they where they're supposed to get to, and some of them even more so. I I had an interesting conversation uh, at one point this summer with with uh, somebody uh, in the player development world who who said something that kind of stuck with me was I tell the coaches your job is not necessarily to be patient, it's to get guys better. But obviously, patience is part of that process. But at the end of the day, you have to get guys better. How do you? kind of balance those needs of letting a guy figure it out in their own sort of pace and time and also hit hit the expectation at the end of the day i think it's all individualized it's all different for everybody and i think that's what makes coaching really special is um the really good coaches are the ones that are able to kind of dive in there when when it's needed um i think that a lot of times uh, coaches in the dugout, you know, after a guy makes a, a bad play and they come in, they're the first ones to greet him at the bottom of the stairs and, you know, kind of get on them a little bit. And I, I think that's, in my opinion, the wrong way to go about it. Um, because I think everybody in the ballpark, including that player knows that they messed up. Um, and, you know, he's got to, he's got to get out of that focus and get into the focus of maybe he's up to bat, you know, on deck or leading off that inning. So we, instead of, drawing as a focus away from what he's about to do where I talk about a lot, like the next thing, just focus on the next thing, focus on the next thing. Um, you know, you're, you're continuing that, that focus on the bad play, having a conversation. So I think it's really good, you know, waiting for some of those things, especially things that happen during the game. The next day to me is the best because 
you know, you, the player has a lot of time to process. And I think that they also know that we're not going to dwell on something. We just got to move on. We got to move on because at the end of the day, even in the big leagues, you can watch, you know, games in the big leagues, watched a game last night, um, you know, the Phillies game where the, the first baseman shifted way over like we, we would do in Richmond. And, you know, he went for a ball that uh, shouldn't have went for in a three, nothing ball game would have been the third out. If he would have, instead of going for the ball to his right, went to first base, the second baseman would have fielded. It would have been the third out of the inning, inning over. Instead, he took two or three steps, dove, missed it. Pitcher couldn't get there. Guy beat it out. They end up scoring only one run, which made it a three to one ball game. But, you know, in the playoffs, it's huge, right? So yeah. it's it's not that big league players don't make mistakes because um, they do. You can watch a game every single night and find something. Uh, bad base running last night by Christian Yelich, you know, a guy that's played in the big leagues for a long time um, where he ra- over-rounded second base and, you know, got thrown out at second base and could have been a big, big inning for the Brewers. Maybe, maybe lost him the game. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I try to talk about, you know, we're, we're going to make mistakes, you know, are we going to hold on to those mistakes or are we going to just move on and, and go to the next thing and make sure the next thing is done right and done well. Um, but, you know, the patience things, it's a tough one. It really is because, you know, everybody, you know, that's watching our games and we're talking strictly about Richmond, like if they're watching from the front office um, in San Francisco or in Arizona, you know, they're just seeing what's on the screen, not, you know, if it is a guy has a, you know, his finger jammed or his knees hurting or, you know, why didn't he run that ball out? And it's really easy to come up with opinions, just like fans. It's really easy to come up with opinions when you're watching, um, you know, he shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have, you know, made that throw or, you know, whatever it is, it's really easy to come to those quick, quick conclusions. And everybody wants to be good right now, including the players, including the coaches. But a lot of times it takes time. It takes time Mm -hmm. for guys. I think that um, it's different for everybody. You know, it's, it's, you know, we draft a guy like Marco Luciano, who's incredible. You know, we want him to be in the big leagues two years ago, you know what I mean? But, you know, whether it's injuries or just going through some struggles, but learning, like throwing the sand in the mouth, right? Like trying to figure things out for himself. And he's a young kid and, you know, and obviously I think he's in a really good spot now and he's still really young, but sometimes it takes guys five years, six years. And it's just hard to understand, you know, how much patience to have with certain guys. But I think at the end of the day, what, what I go by is, how the work is, if the guy is really putting in the work and really trying to, you know, perfect his craft, then I think you can be a lot more patient with some things because you know that he has the focus and the drive to do, do the things that he needs to do to get better. It, 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 the line between a a mistake, like you talked about Christian Yelich, the, the line at the level of play at that level is so high that the difference between doing a mistake and a not mistake is so minute at that level. It's extraordinary. Uh, and you talk about guys wanting wanting to get good immediately. Um, I think we saw a couple of examples of that. Uh, uh, you pushed a lot of guys to the majors this year, which is pretty impressive from, from double A. Some of those guys who did things really, really well at that level struggled with the adjustments at the top level. And we heard, you know, the giants talk about some of those, those adjustments. It's, 
just extraordinary how much you have to keep upping your game as you move up. And I, I think that's something that, that fans just miss all the time, that you can be really good at at, at base running at the AA or AAA level, at, at reads and roots at the AA and AAA level, and there's still a learning process that comes at the top level. Yeah, and it's and it continues as well. Like you can't – you don't get to a point and it's like, oh, I'm here. And then, you know, three <laughs> weeks later you're back or back in double a because you, you know you have to continue to perfect that that artistry and 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 really have to evolve you know the the game when you get to the major leagues is 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 still the same baseball game but it's obviously everything is magnified more so um like you said you can get away with a few little mistakes as a pitcher you can get away with a few pitches over the middle of the plate in double a that you're not going to get away with in the big league you know I think that it's really good for guys in double A to understand that too. Like, you know, when, you know, when we have conversations with with guys that are doing really well for an extended period of time, we always go back myself, especially with the pitching myself and Paul Osagara, we talk a lot about, you know, let's not get fooled by, you know, the, the outcomes because sometimes the outcomes go our way just because, you know, who knows why uh, maybe because we do work hard or whatever, but you know, if you look at, you know, let's just throw an example like Carson Seymour. Yeah, he threw really great. He had six shutout innings, um, you know, eight punch outs or, you know, whatever. But how many pitches were, you know, right down the middle that hitters missed when he was facing mm-hmm. some of the lesser hitters on the other club and, you know, threw some pitches right down the middle that were missed. So those are those are tough conversations, too, to have with with players like understanding like, Hey, you know, you had a really good night, you went four for four, but in these at bats, how many pitches did you miss that were right down the middle that, that you can't miss? Cause you're only, you're not going to get so, th- those, those mistakes in the big leagues. You'll get maybe one of those and we can't miss those. And so balancing those conversations are really tough as well. Yeah. Kyle Haynes. I remember talking about that with uh, about Kyle Harrison last year that like it, sometimes the mistakes just aren't punished at that level because the stuff was so good that you can outstuff uh, your level of competition for a while. And at, at, a, at a certain point you get to a place where you can't just outstuff your competition. You, you've got to yeah. do some other things. Well, I think one, one good thing too, along with that, that, that I talk about a lot with pitching and hitting and defense is you have to beat the best with your worst. So on your worst day at the plate, you have to beat the best, the best arm. On your worst day on the mound, your, your stuff is just not good that day. You have to beat their best hitters. And if you can do those things and figure out how to do those things, then that's going to take you a long way. Well, that sounds hard to do. Uh, it's very hard to do. <laughs> so you did uh, – uh, it was an all-time Richmond record this year of having five guys go from Richmond to the majors. And in your two years there, it, it's even more than that. And and obviously guys who fans are excited about um, – how much – personal gratification do you take from that when you see guys that you're working with in April, you know, playing in, in San Francisco and, and getting the headlines in, in July or August, is that a, uh, something of pride for you or it's just part of the, part of the work? Honestly, it's not, I mean, it's the expectation. It really is. And I think that the, the players are the ones that do it. It's not yeah. the coaches. It's not, um, anything other than, you know, we, we, our coaching, we just, we're just guiding, we're helping guide and and hopefully guiding in the right direction. And I think with some of the conversations we have, you know, I, I can be selfish and say, yeah, like I think with, with us and the staff we have in Richmond, 
the way that we communicate and the way that we talk and operate, um, you know, some of these guys wouldn't have done as well as they did and make it to the big leagues if they were on another staff. I, I could say that, but that's the beauty of the, of the best reality show on the planet either. You can't prove it otherwise. Like you can't <laughs> think that, you know, if Will Clark was managing this team, the same five guys go to the big leagues. Sure. Maybe, maybe 10 guys go if he's managing, you know what I mean? So I, I you know, I don't know <clears throat> how to really take that. I think it's really special and it's awesome. And I think the best part about that for me is when, you know, the giants are playing a day game and, you know, we're just finishing up BP guys are throwing the game on to watch, you know, Tyler Fitzgerald have his first major league at bat or, or Patrick Bailey or, or at the end of the night, you know, we get to send a picture uh, of me and Walsh having a toast to Patrick Bailey's right-handed home run. He hit his first one. And, you know, the best part about that for me is when Patrick Bailey replies back, you know, let's go or whatever. That, that to me is the most fulfilling part of it. Because at the at the end of the day, and I think if you ask every player that that's played for me, I I tell them the expectation. Every single one of you guys can make it to the big leagues. Like there is a place for all of your talents, no matter who it is. There is somebody in the big leagues that has your stuff, plays the game like you do, and somebody's made it with your your ability. Now, does that say that you're all going to make it? I don't know, but that's the that's the thing. It's and it, and it not necessarily has to be for the giants either, which would be awesome if it did. But, you know, I think that at the end of the day, you know, you're how much you develop and how good you get at being consistently good uh, is going to be the difference maker. And I think that, you know, sometimes it's luck to get there as well. And sometimes it takes an injury, but you know, the other part, the other side of that, the, the other, the other side of the coin on that conversation is, you have to understand what you're trying to take from somebody too. So somebody that's in the big leagues that has your skill set, you know, you're trying to take food off his family's plate and that's the, you know, and it's a lot of money that you're trying to go after. And that person that's playing in that position that you have, that you want is not going to give that up easily. So think about, you know, how focused and how determined the work has to be in those moments as well. Yeah. And so Dusty Baker always used to say, they're not, they're not giving those jobs away. Right. <laughs> you have to come take them. You've, you've talked about your, your staff a bit. Uh, and I, I kind of want to dig deeper into that. Obviously as a minor league manager today, you have an awful lot of different streams coming together. It's not the old uh, pitching coach, hitting coach, and that's it. You've got, you know, you've got obviously a lot of technology, the track man's in the bullpen every day. There's the you know, weights on the bat. Uh, you've got, uh, you're thinking about nutrition. You're thinking about strength. You're thinking about conditioning. You're thinking about emotional support. You're thinking about data and, and intellectual support. How do you as a manager bring all those streams together so that they coalesce into a support structure rather than, you know, a, a lot of chaos kind of coming yeah. out players. So they feel supported, not overwhelmed, I guess. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, probably if I had to say a negative thing about the job that I have is, is like, I don't get to coach as much as I want to coach mm-hmm. because of all those other things. But because of all those other things, it's really challenging me to uh, be better, in all honesty. So to instead of like going right up to a guy that's feeling the ground ball and I want to talk to him about what he's doing. I, I make sure I have those conversations with Lipso Nava so he can have those conversations with the guy and figure out how to bring that message in his own way to the player and see if that works, you know, instead of, you know, in independent baseball where, 
you know, we had some, some, some things outside of the game that I had to orchestrate as well, but I was, you know, I had to have my hand in virtually everything as far as like how to, you know, how to get guys better and, and coach and which I really, really enjoy having conversations with players and uh, trying to help them with their stuff. But I have to take a step back and, and, and really make sure all the other things are intertwining together to make a really, um, a really good clubhouse environment for the guys, a really comfortable environment to where, you know, they, they know that, you know, our nutritionist has a lot of say, so they can go have a conversation with her or him and not have to go through me first. Um, but those are the things that I have to have conversations with, you know, those staff members on how this is what I see in my expectations of your job. Now I want you to make it your own, just like I would talk with the players. Um, it's just, it's harder for me because, you know, I know baseball really well. So I'm, I'm really able to talk about a swing or talk about fielding a ground ball or a base running with ease. Whereas if I go talk to our analyst, I don't really know a lot about the ins and outs of, of that aspect to be able to really coach that person into being the best that they can be. So I have to be able to have conversations and listen to what that person on our staff is bringing to the table and use those, those skills. So every analyst is not going to be the same at every level. They're going to have their different, uh, you know, qualities that, that are going to help us. And I have, for me, I think the, the most important part for me is to get to know each staff member and know, what they bring to the table as far as the best things that they do. And then obviously some of their weaknesses too. So I can either help make those weaknesses better, or I can kind of take over some of those sides of, of their game and just make sure that they're dominating what they're really good at. Yeah. I mean, you're actually helping develop, you know, the staff as much as you're trying to develop uh, the, the players, right? It's probably, uh, even, it's a... probably even more so to be honest with you. I mean, if I can make the staff really good, it makes my job really, really easy. And I think that, you know, what's really special for me is like in 21 had a really good staff had had Corey Lassick and Lipso Nava with me there. And then the next year, the entire staff was brand new to me and uh, in Richmond. And yeah. so, you know, those guys and not knowing, you know, whether they're good or not, it's just like players, you know, you can hear, Oh, this guy's really good. Or this guy's not, this player's good. Or this player's not, this is what he needs to work on. And I try not to think about any of those things. And I try not to listen to any of those things and just make, basically my own opinions on when I meet those people, but it was really cool this year to be able to have <clears throat> Paul Osagara back, Chris mm -hmm. Walsh, trainer, uh, Matt Jordan, strength coach, um, and then get Lipso and Corey back because they know how, how I operate and I know how they operate. Um, so it made it really, really easy for me. And I think that uh, when you have a good staff and a staff, not necessarily, we don't have to like each other and be best friends off the field, but, when we're working together every single day, the relationships were really good. And um, I got to see a lot of growth in, in Paul Osagara. Uh, he was really good last year. And then this year he was a hundred percent better. He was so, so good this year for our guys. And uh, you know, Matt Jordan, you know, I love having conversations with him. He, he's very, uh, he's an outside the box thinker, kind of like what I am. And so we kind of melded some of the baseball stuff with the strength and conditioning. And it was really cool to see some of those things and the players buy into some of the things we were bringing to the table. So being able to be with the same staff for, for a couple of years is, is awesome. But I also enjoy the challenge of, of bringing in, you know, new staff members as well. And I think that if I can make those guys really good or girls really good at, at their jobs, then it's going to help the players immensely. 
Can I just ask a, a follow up? When when you talk about uh, someone like Paul getting better, what is that? How does that present itself to you? What are you seeing? That you're like, oh, I'm seeing improvement in in this performance. So it's a lot like a player. So like, you know, we'll talk about Paul as a pitching coach, and I'll and I'll kind of compare it to like how a pitcher is. The I talk a lot about mound presence, and you know, your stuff is going to be your stuff, but are you dominating? And I talk a little bit about this emptiness between the mound and the plate and who controls that emptiness that it, it's a one-on-one -on -one battle it's a hitter versus pitcher but who has the presence that's dominating that empty space right um and it's obviously a lot more in depth than that but so you know, like your mound presence and i think that you know a pitcher that's let's just say uh will jensen pitched last year for us a little bit in richmond he he did he had a pretty good season last year this year he was incredible. He was great. Not really much different as far as the stuff, but the presence. Some sometimes you talk about experience, having the experience, being a second time coming through Double A and understanding the league a little bit better and understanding the hitters a little bit better. Um, and I think that's the same for for Paul Osier. Like his presence when he spoke to the players was like immediately stood out to me, you know, from the first couple of weeks of spring training to the first couple of weeks of the season in Richmond, the, the way that he approached his message, not that his message changed a whole lot because he's a good coach at the beginning, no matter what, but the way that he delivers those messages and the way that uh, I think he got a lot more confidence in himself this year. Um, I think obviously understanding me a little bit more <clears throat> helped with that as well. Uh, because I think that at times, you know, there's some managers that try to control everything and, and take things personally. If a, if a pitching coach says something that uh, maybe they didn't talk about before, and maybe I have a different opinion, which I actually enjoy those things, those moments when a coach says something to the group of players that maybe I don't necessarily agree with. And I listen to what he says and, and maybe it changes my mind on it as well because of his belief in it. And if I still don't, like it during the, the conversation with the players, we'll talk about it in my office. Like, Hey, explain this to me a little bit more because this is what I think. And, and, and maybe it changes my mind. Maybe it doesn't, but at least he knows where I stand on it and I know where he stands on it. And I think that, you know, every single day this year, every time we were going to make a move, which obviously we have, you know, constraints on who we can use and how much we can use them and, and where we're supposed to use certain guys. Uh, but I don't know that there was ever a time this year that, we differed on who we were going to bring in uh, or what our plan was for the night um, on as far as if everything went the way that we wanted it to go. Whereas last year there was a few moments where it was like, eh, you know, we kind of differed on some things. So that was another a really big one as well. And I think that it's really just him being comfortable in his own skin and, and his, and being the artist that he is. And uh, I think it really showed at least in my eyes. One of the things that I know players have talked to me about, uh, you've mentioned a few times that guys out there are artists, uh, that part of being an artist is you can leave the performance behind you and not necessarily wear the results uh, emotionally when you when you leave the stage, which I think is a really interesting way to look at the game. Uh, and I, I've only got a couple of minutes, so I'll, I'll just leave you with that thought. Um do you find players sort of that that opens up a door when they start thinking about it that way? I do. And, and, and it's really good that you say that, like, so to go a little deeper into the artistry part of it, I talk about 
I'm a big movie guy and I love movies and I love <laughs> you know, the actors, but you know, and one of the things I'll say is like, you know, who's your favorite actor? And they'll say hey, Mark Wahlberg or whoever. Right. And I'm like, okay, do you know that person, you know, personally? And 99% of times like, no, no, just, I like, you know, he plays the shooter guy on, you know, on the movie shooter and uh, <laughs> ever. And he does a really good job. Exactly. And it's like Denzel Washington, these guys can play these multiple roles, but that's not who they are. Um, Liam Neeson has one role that he plays really, really well, which is okay. And he does really good at it, but that's not the person he is off the screen. And I think that, you know, to keep it really short is, you know, when you go out step out on the field, you can be, whatever you want out there like you can you can give the off the perception of whatever you want so fans can see if you're going to be a guy that jogs to first base on ground balls in the infield then fans are their perception of you is oh he's he's not a hustler he doesn't run hard doesn't play hard and that's that's fine if that's the perception that you want to have out there but understand what you're doing on the field is not who you are like it's you can be whatever you want to be so you can you can play hard you can you know, show off your home runs or fist pump your strikeouts or whatever you want to do, but understand there's going to be people that don't like those things. And they're going to, they're going to say those things. Just like if you're a movie actor, there's going to be critics always and they're critiquing your work, but it has nothing to do with who you are as a person. So once you come back into the clubhouse, you leave your character on the field and then you, you, you just, you're playing a role basically during the game. And that way it makes it really easy for you to, you know, brush things off your shoulder that, didn't go your way that night, or it makes it really easy to enjoy the moment when you have a really good game, walk off Homer, walk off hit, you get splashed with the Gatorade or the water. <laughs> and there, sadly, uh, I, I lost connection with Pelf, but uh, that's there's worse ways to go out than getting splashed with the Gatorade uh, in celebration. So we'll leave Pelf there. Uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to, uh, to him talk. I, I always enjoy listening to the way he thinks about the game. Um, I'll be back again this week with another of my conversations with uh, Carrie Crowley about the Giants, uh, and we'll see what we can find for you next week as well. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the playoffs. Oh